Welcome to episode 2 of Deeper with Socrates, I'm your host, Socrates Alanzar. Our first guest is Julian Meyer, a three-time startup founder with two exits, a published author, a Harvard Business School leading with finance alum, a top-rated startup consultant. Julian currently leads Northstar Venture Partners, a company that specializes in business formation, capital raises, growth through acquisitions, and mergers and acquisition services for profitable technology companies across the globe. On this episode, ladies and gentlemen, we're sitting down with a true entrepreneur. I mean, we're talking with someone that started selling bubblegum at an early age. And I mean, you, I mentioned his resume. I think that we'd all be surprised with how young he is and how much he has accomplished. But I really enjoyed our conversation because we cover topics that aren't usually covered in, in podcasts or, or any interview that I've seen, which is really addressing things like mental health in entrepreneurs. And we also talk about that there is no straight path to success most of the time but you just have to learn how to deal with the good and the bad that you experience in life also the importance of building genuine relationships uh, by being authentic and being your true self Super honored and grateful to have Julian Meyer as our first guest here on Deeper with Socrates. Brother, I can't thank you enough for joining us on our very first interview. How are you doing today, brother? Socrates, it's a pleasure, man. Are you kidding? It's uh, it's an honor on my end to be here. It's been a while since we've uh, since we connected like this, and I'm glad it's on a podcast, man. It's exciting. I'm doing good. Just uh, you know, coronavirus times, so as good as anybody can be doing, right? Right before we actually started the interview, I was actually thinking about the time that we met. We are both from UCF, so go Knights, University of Central Florida. And we were at the exchange, and 10 minutes go by, and then out of nowhere, this guy rushes in. He's a little sweaty, and he puts up this PowerPoint slide, and the first photo he shows is that he just landed a plane. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? When did you you know, find your passion for flying? I mean, well, it's funny. So that was five years ago now. And like I was saying beforehand, man, you got to be careful with these podcasts. You'll start to accidentally date yourself. So <laughs> yeah, man, I was back in 2015 and you're actually, you're referencing um, what I would consider a high point in every entrepreneur's journey. At that time, I was uh, running a venture back startup. I was able to pay myself a good salary. I had sold a company beforehand two companies actually, so I had some money in the bank. You know, it was a very interesting time in my life. I was building a new business with uh, outside money, outside venture capital, which was a new experience for me. Uh, my life has changed drastically since. I've gone through some more of the kind of ups and downs, the roller coaster that an entrepreneur typically goes through. But on that particular day, I do remember that I was actually with my assistant or someone from my company, a co-founder, something like that. And I was taking flying lessons uh, at the time. <laughs> it was just a side hobby. And in fact, one of my mentors at the time kind of not a psychologist or doctor or anything, but had diagnosed me with like, Hey, you're a workaholic, man. It's going to get, it's going to get you in trouble. When you want to start family one day, you know, it's not going to be good for you. You have no work-life balance. You're not trying to tell you how to live your life, but find something outside of work 
that you really enjoy, even if it's something extreme. I said, you know what, I've always wanted to fly. It was a bit of a commitment, but I started lessons at that time. And I think it helped me break through a wall, which I didn't have. I think young entrepreneurs, right? Not necessarily young in age, but young in the cycle, your first business, your second business, I happen to be on my third. The temptation is to believe in the myth that the 18-hour day is more efficient than the eight-hour day with the eight hours of relaxation and sleep, right? I think there's time and a place for both. And I think it helped me to break through that wall to figure that out. But that was, um, yeah, that was at the time, man, I was running a startup called Blurt Box, if you remember. Uh, I gave a, a talk at UCF at the Exchange, which is the business school's, I guess, the kind of little auditorium there. And I was talking a little bit about my career, how I went from selling bubblegum in the sixth grade to running a multi-million dollar startup at the time. And since then, I've transitioned into now being a managing director at North Star Venture Partners, which is a, an M&A firm for uh, primarily technology entrepreneurs to help them get their companies sold or acquire other ones. So, uh, yeah, man, it's been, it's been a while since then, but I remember that day. So that that's funny that you mentioned that selling bubblegum. How old were you when you started selling bubblegum? Because I remember in high school, I started to sell chocolates and that was my first official venture per se. But then I started eating more chocolate than I was selling. So I put myself out of business. Well, it's better than my story. I got run out of business by what I thought was one of my best friends at the time. So good lesson to learn that young. Uh, I think what you'll find, man, is the more of these podcasts that you do, there's always this controversial debate amongst the entrepreneurship, the entrepreneurial community. Is entrepreneurship taught? Can it be taught? Or is it a born skill, right? And I think that in many conversations that I've had during my own podcast and being friends with a lot of entrepreneurs, most of us that have the real bug, right? Meaning that you have that ambition and drive to build something or do something bigger than yourself. We have a very similar story that early on in our lives, we started selling something without even realizing what we were doing. Um, so for me, it was the sixth grade then. Uh, I was selling bubblegum. It was banned at our school, so I, I knew it was a great product to sell. Probably realized then, you know, <laughs> tricks to the trade, I guess you can say, that carried on with me because uh, there was a lot of, you know, kind of uh, pricing things properly, making sure that demand was there, making sure that uh, I had opportunities to sell, right? The bus ride into school, the bus ride outside of school. I think one of my best stories, you know, from that time period was I had a crush on this girl and I knew she was dating a friend of mine. And so, of course, because she was dating a friend of mine and not me, you know, I didn't really have any uh, bad feelings about what I did, but I knew she was going to go see him later that day. And she comes up to me and says, hey, 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 I know you always have gum. Can I have a piece? It was my last piece for the day. I usually sold through a pack or two a day. I had one piece left and I knew about supply and demand. I knew she was going to see him. And I said, sure, but it's $7. And she was like, $7? That's ridiculous. That's like it cost three packs of gum. I was like, well, you're going to see him, right? Like, you need the gum. She was pissed, but I was ecstatic, right? And I think at that point, that's when I realized I was like, oh, man, I'm into this for life. All over a girl. It always is, isn't it? Well, the thing is, man, I mean, in hindsight, right, I probably should have given her the gum, right? Maybe she would have liked me instead of my friend. I chose, you know, the entrepreneur's method, which is, whoa, supply and demand. I got the last piece, you know. <laughs> kind of cracks me up to this day, man. And some people still remember it at school. So, in fact, I think it was our tenure or whatever. I didn't, I didn't go or they didn't schedule it to the coronavirus, but. I had somebody bring that specific story up to me a couple of weeks ago when I was chatting with him on the phone. Julian, so you end up, you know, being this entrepreneur as a kid and growing up, but then you decide to go to college. So I know that some people choose to just be an entrepreneur. You chose to go ahead and get educated and you actually moved to Central Florida, went to the University of, of Central Florida. So tell us about your major and, and how did you decide what, what you wanted to major in, you know, having this entrepreneurial background? Yeah, man, great question. Um, so like you said, I moved from New York and uh, Central Florida was a no-brainer, right? There's no snow and 
there's uh, you know a lot of uh, a lot of enjoyable things to do here, including the beach and all that kind of stuff. So uh, made a lot of sense. UCF for me had a great hospitality program, and my life goal is I want to own a chain of hotels and resorts. Uh, I feel like everything I do on my entrepreneurship journey uh, tries to lead in and tie into that in some way, shape, or form. So you know, I, I don't really think the whole college thing matters one way or the other. I think you have people that you know in the entrepreneurship community that are vehemently against college. I think that's the cool thing to be today, right? It's you know, oh, Steve Jobs tried or Mark Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg chopped out or, you know, I didn't finish talking. You know, that, that's the narrative that's cool. And unfortunately, entrepreneurship in a lot of ways has become quote unquote cool. And we've diluted a lot of what didn't used to be here. It doesn't matter one way or another whether you decide to go to college or not. For me, it made sense because I knew that having a degree in hospitality, but more than that, making the connections in Central Florida to other hoteliers, to people at Disney World, those are connections that are still near and dear to my heart today, even though I do nothing with that currently, that I wouldn't have been able to make without that scenario, right? And so I think that, you know, for me, weighing the pros and the cons of whether or not, you know, the college thing makes a difference, it, it's on a case-by-case basis. I think for entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter one way or the other. In fact, with entrepreneurs, what it, what it is for us is that, you know, we have to decide how to play our hand at any given time. I think that the true entrepreneurs, the good entrepreneurs, they're not you know, a lot of these kind of, you know, baby victims that we see today, which is all, well, the world is all against me and things are so hard for me. Entrepreneurs are very, very good at when they're back, you know, against the corner, not just trying to get out of that corner, but if they can't find a way out, just breaking the damn wall behind them, right? That's what we do, we play our hand. So I think for me, it was always about how can I play the hand that I currently have in front of me, right? And I've had times in my career, I've had no money. I've had times in my career where I've had tons of money. I've had time in my career where I've had no time, times in my career where I've had plenty of time. I've had time when I've had no friends, lots of friends, right? I, I could run, run you through the whole spectrum, right? I think everybody has their own challenges and problems. And, you know, for me, and I guess I'm getting a little bit off on a tangent here, the whole decision came from at that time, playing my cards, it was the best move for me and it has paid dividends for me since. And it did give me a lot of opportunities as an entrepreneur, man. You know, you can get by with anything by reaching out to potential clients and stuff and using the cover of being a student, which is something I highly recommend to anyone in college. God, reach out to big companies if you're selling a digital marketing service and say, hey, I'm a student at this school. We're trying to build a business. You know, do you think you could hire us for this little project? Before you know it, you'll be their number one, you'll be their service provider, you know? Sorry, man. I hope I didn't get off on a tangent. No, not at all. This is great, man. I love... I love how organic our conversation is, so it's, it's amazing. Um, I think that you brought up some great advice here, and it is that it's all, college is a lot about what you do outside of the classroom. I mean, great, good grades are awesome and all, but people love to see what have you done during this time. I know that you faced a dilemma between a, an attractive job offer or choosing to do your own thing, so can you kind of uh, walk me through how that process was, how you ended up making that decision? Yeah, tell me if it would help, man, but maybe I could get, I could introduce myself a little more, give myself a little bit of a background to put into context for your audience and then touch on that. So, yeah, briefly, like we were talking about, you know, with the whole bubblegum thing, I went through my whole high school career basically jumping from product to product. Um, if I would get run out, I would switch to something. So I sold everything from bubblegum and candy to um, fireworks, which I'm not proud of because those were actually legal in the state. So that was pretty bad. Um, but skateboards, I sold phones, I sold iPods, right? So I kind of had experience at that time of what you would consider door-to-door sales. I was just in person. There was no internet. There was no, you know, whatever the, the most technology we had was a text, hey man, can I have a pack of bubble gum? You know, or we didn't even have phones back then. But, you know, so regardless, um, that was kind of like my early, what I would consider my early days as an entrepreneur. Um, from there, because I turned 18 partially, I was like, all right, shit, I have to be legit. So um, when I started my first company at UCF, I started a company called College Tickets uh, at the time, which was um, basically digital ticketing software and uh, marketing company for nightlife venues uh, in and around uh, college towns. I did that 
And that was my first foray really into understanding what it means to run a business, which is that it's not all fun, glitz and glamour. It's a lot of sitting behind the desk, putting in the work, paying the taxes, finding the right employees, right? Managing it, right? And I think there's a big difference from what we believe entrepreneurship is today, from what we think it should be to what it actually is, which is really just a lot of hard work and not that much glitz and glamour. And in fact, a lot more pain, um, you know, and tribulations that grow you and put you into a stronger person. So I learned that lesson pretty quick. I don't want to go on too long, but one really good quote I have for that, if anybody's interested, is if you look at an interview from Elon Musk, I forget where, but um, he's on stage and he says something along the lines of entrepreneurship is like biting glass and staring down into this dark abyss. And I love when he says that because it's true. It's not what you see on Instagram, right? We have too many fake Instagram entrepreneurs today. It's not what you see on YouTube. All those guys, that's bullshit stuff. Those, <laughs> a lot of times those people aren't really even entrepreneurs. Don't listen to that. Listen to someone like Elon Musk that's building freaking Tesla and SpaceX saying, listen, this sucks because it does. You go broke plenty of times. You know, it's a cycle. And so I learned that that cycle, that ebb and flow is something you got to get comfortable with if you're going to make it because there is no straightforward path to success. And in fact, I think that's the biggest myth that society tells us is that if you do the right thing, right, quote, unquote, do the right thing, if you follow the path in life, you will get there eventually. It's like, no, it's kind of bullshit, right? It's a lot more of accepting the fact that good things are going to happen and bad things are going to happen and you just kind of have to ride that wave. So learning that lesson really early on um, allowed me to sell that first company, start a second one, uh, sold that one as well, then got into my third company, a company called Blurbox, which, like I said, was uh, a venture-backed startup. And very long story short, um, there was just there was something that happened that led to us having to um, shut that business down. And it was a really tough time for me in my life. Um, I went from having a lot, like you saw at that time, of you know getting these flying lessons, coming in on a plane, doing really cool stuff, to really going back to square zero. I mean, to the point where uh, I lost my home at the time, lost um, basically all my possessions. I didn't have anything left and had to move back in with relatives uh, just because yeah, I was totally tapped out. From there, I was able to rebuild uh, and I was able to build a consulting business and kind of grow that into what I do now, which is running this firm called North Star Venture Partners, which is, like I said, an M&A firm for entrepreneurs. But, you know, I, I guess, man, I'll, I'll let you ask your next question here, but I really think that in terms of how the entrepreneurial journey itself has affected me or what it's taught me is that no matter what and it, coronavirus is such a good example right there's a lot of people sitting at home depressed bored whatever is that you just have to roll with whatever comes your way that's all it is man you just have to roll with it and you have to make the best of it i did to be totally honest i'm not sure if i answered your initial question there but that's a little bit of background so feel free to re-ask it if i've missed it <laughs> No, sounds great, brother. I appreciate you sharing that. So there was a ton of great material there, and I, I would just like to take a step back because you're you're mentioning something very important today, which is that being an entrepreneur is very, you know, pop culture now. It's uh, people are living for the moment instead of actually building businesses. I think people are living for the Instagram post. I don't even know if they're living for the moment anymore, you know? It's for Correct. the Instagram post. <laughs> <laughs> so when you had the uh, TKTS business, uh, and you end up making, you know, a, a large chunk of money at that time. How do you know if you are actually an entrepreneur or just living in the moment for that lifestyle? Like, how did you realize I'm just immature and maybe that's why I'm making the choices that I'm making? Then I'm not cut out for this stuff. I mean, I think the the easiest way to answer that question is the story that you hear. It's, it's a common theme amongst 
um, a lot of your kind of bigger room entrepreneurs and you know, if you research them, what they say, you know you're addicted the minute you get a payout and literally within weeks or months, you're like, fuck, I'm bored and you put it all back into something else. That was a turning point for me as well because I was like, you know, like I said, when I was young, that initial story that I told when I sold a piece of gun for $7, which is kind of comical, comparatively speaking, after getting what was not a big sale, to be honest with you, but a big sale for me at the time in my life, more money than I'd ever seen, taking all that and reinvesting it literally weeks later was like, what, who, you know, I was like, what am I doing here? Who am I, right? And it's weird because you do it because it's instinct. I didn't really do it out of thing. I was like, oh, makes sense. Next logical move. Let's do this. But that, I think, is where you really start to see, oh, my God, this is an addiction. I'm never going to get out of it, right? Because you are constantly looking for that next opportunity, man. It's always, and we joke amongst entrepreneurial friends, right? And I think there's a lot of the faker kind of entrepreneurs and the Instagram entrepreneurs that don't necessarily connect on this level with the guys that are in it for life. It's that, you know, when I have these conversations with my friends that are lifelong entrepreneurs, people that have been in business 25, 30 years with five, six different businesses, and I'm weird, man. I'm friends with people mostly twice my age. When I chat with them and I learn a lot from them, a lot of the time, what they say is that in general, it gets to a point where you realize it's a zero-sum game. There's no end. There's no winning. It's always the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. It, 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 you know, and it's funny because I think that actually goes along with being at peace with the whole journey, with the ebbs and flows. That's something else you have to accept because I see too many guys that, you know, it's purely about the money. I think you're lying if it's not about the money on some level, but it's never purely about the money. It's, it's the damn game, man. It's fun. You know, that's what it is. That's when I realized it. Entrepreneurs like Gary Vaynerchuk, they always mention the game, but I believe that you may be the first person that's actually real about it and talks about the journey as an addiction instead of a game. Because games are fun, but addictions, they can be dangerous. So thank you for, for touching on that for me. It's a good point, man. Sorry, it's a good point. And I, I'm glad you brought that up. And sorry, I'll let you ask your second question in a second. I just want to, this is something near and dear to my heart. You're right, it is dangerous. And I think that's the piece that scares me and why I speak about, you know, kind of the Instagram entrepreneurs and a lot of the stuff that you see that's out there that's fake is I wish we were more open about that as a community because we do have a very high suicide rate amongst entrepreneurs. We do have some very serious depression issues. We have some serious mental struggles. Um, a lot of the world likes to look at us as greedy, money-hungry capitalists. When really, if you think about it, and not to, you know, I hope this doesn't come across as statistical, but we're the ones that are employing people and creating jobs for people to actually have their own families, right? And so there's a lot of responsibility in that. And I think that we don't speak about that enough. And it does, Socrates, to be clear, it is a game and it becomes a game once you have what we as entrepreneurs call your first hit or your first home run. A lot of us have singles, doubles, and triples in our career, but we don't have those home runs. When you become, you know, an entrepreneur that does have a home run, that game really, that, that's what we're all working towards is to play the game at that comfort level, right? Um, but I just wanted to mention that because you brought up a really good point. I think that that's something that needs to be addressed more. I appreciate you adding value where, where you find it. <laughs> appreciate you. You're killing it, man. You're killing it. My first podcast I did at 3 a.m. coming home drunk from a bar on my iPhone. So this is uh, already 10 times better than mine. If anybody wants to check that out. Startup Financial News episode one on the Apple Store. You'll, you'll laugh your ass off. You know, I, I did listen to that episode, and and now I wish that I I may have recorded this at three a.m. while I was drunk. It may have been a little bit easier, <laughs> but you're making it easy, so I appreciate it, Julie. So one of my biggest uh, 
takeaways from the University of Central Florida and the School of Business was actually building genuine relationships with people. I feel like many students are so amped up about how good their resume looks and they just throw their resume in people's faces without building relationships. From my personal experience, I've, I mean, the career that I have and even the internships through college, I obtained those through the relationships that I built with the people that were at the career fairs. They actually liked me for who I was, not necessarily for what was on my resume. So you mentioned earlier Blurtbox. So can you tell me how that turned into an actual business? Uh, because we have a uh, well mutual friend, I consider him a friend now, that actually became your first client. Can you speak about that experience? Yeah, for sure. You know, so two things there, right? A lot to unpack. I think number one, you hit on something important, which is, you know, network, right? And I feel like in this era that we're living in, you know, the audience can't tell I'm not the biggest fan of social media phones, even as a technology entrepreneur and now a technology investment banker, right? I mean, I should be more into it, but I think that we've become so comfortable living behind the screen. Actually, let me change that terminology, hiding behind the screen that it's given us the thumbs up to hide behind other things like a resume, right? And if, you know, anything about business in general, oldest saying in the book, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I think there's very few scenarios, very few. And I would even argue that they're, that it's not a perfect example, but let's take medicine, right? Medicine, you need classical, traditional training, right? You need to go through eight years so that you don't kill people on the operating table. God bless them, right? Still, there's going to be a difference, even if you're the top-tier student at Johns Hopkins, there's going to be a difference if you're the guy that went to all the dinners, that met the chief of medicine, that met the, you know, the head resident, whatever. You're going to get a better job with a better salary. You're going to have a better life, right? And that's the part that I think we ignore today, which I'm glad that UCF has an emphasis on internships and networking. I think the business school does a good job. I'm a Rosen grad. I think the Rosen, grad does, the Rosen program does an even better job. But in general, I think that's one of the most underutilized tools Today, that along with another little pro tip, if you have anybody listening to this that's a business person, entrepreneur, handwritten letters, handwritten, like easy shit, man. This is stuff that in the past, in the 80s, you couldn't get into networking events because all your business school buddies were gone, right? If you wrote a handwritten letter, it got lost in the mail. Now, those are two of the easiest things you could possibly do to meet very high net worth and high quality people and to connect with them on a deep level. The easiest shit in the world. And literally, usually, by the way, Socrates, when you go to these events, you're usually getting free beer and food. I'm like, come on, this is easy shit. I'm telling you, I've had people ask me time and time, oh, how'd you do that? Oh, how'd you meet this person? Oh, I've had people have the nerve to say, oh, I wish I was born with a silver spoon. I'm like, bitch, I go to networking events all day long. You think this is easy? No, I mean, in a way, it's easier than what you're doing, which is sitting around pouting, playing the victim. But this is something anybody could do, you know? And so I find that fascinating that we don't talk about that more in general. But in terms of, you know, relating back to my story and Blurtbox and a client of mine, yeah, you're right. My first client for that business came from, uh, who's now a friend of yours, a friend of mine, who became a friend because I had networked with him in a previous business. And I think that that story in and of itself is the perfect example of what I'm trying to say in that previous point, is that you can always, always, always be behind the screen and make a resume look good. You can always be at home on the phone and make your voice sound good. But there is definitely something different in terms of having those in-person heart-to-heart relationships that allow you to jump leaps and bounds. I think normally life, you kind of operate in steps. And if you're doing good, you kind of go up a couple steps. If you're doing bad, you go down a couple steps. I think with networking, it's an opportunity to get into the elevator, right? And that elevator might sink at some point, right? You might meet someone, a bad business partner, which has happened to me in the past. But the truth is, is that that elevator, let's say there's a thousand floors, 
you might never be able to walk up a thousand floors. Your career or wherever you end up, you might be on the 68th floor, which for you is great, but the elevator might go every 10 floors. And before you know it, you're on the 115th floor, right? Just And, and that's, that's the funny thing is, you know, I find myself in weird situations and I'll pause after this and let you ask whatever other questions you have, but forgive me again. I don't, I, I really don't want this to sound like it's bragging or anything. So for the audience, just bear with me about what I'm about to say, but I find myself in these interesting situations. For example, I'm a board member for the Rosen School and I'm the youngest one in there by a factor of 30 years. That's weird. Right? I, I'm not supposed to be in that room. You understand? I'm not supposed to be there. It's very clear to me. I'm not supposed to be in that room. And yet there I am. And my opinion is respected. I'm being asked questions. You guys think that's because I'm some genius? No, I'm, I'm an idiot, man. The difference is that I meet people. I talk to them. I buy them lunch. I buy them dinner. I ask them questions. I make them feel like they're cared about. All of a sudden, these opportunities present themselves. That's the best tech trick in the book. And I guarantee you, 99% of the people listening to your podcast do nothing with that. Guaranteed. But it's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, that even if you go back and, and look at our relationship, you know, I, I just liked you when I met you. You know, you, you gave your speech. I, I felt that, that I admired your story. And then I, I believe that I invited you to lunch. And, and we've done that since then. So listen, not, not to put you off again, but I've met hundreds of people like you in my career, right? Hundreds of people. I've given a talk and they come up to me afterwards and say, oh, that was great. That was cool. You're one of maybe three, three that have kept in touch on a regular basis and have sent me emails and have not taken offense when I don't answer and have just pinged me back. And, you know, that's the thing, man, is I think that a lot of times there's this self-entitlement that a lot of people feel where it's like, well, this person didn't get back to me or, oh, they would never reach back out to me. It's like, once you can wash that off and get over that, all of a sudden you start to realize, wait, all I need to do is be the one that keeps in touch and eventually it'll pay off. Julian, so back to Blurt Box and, and just seeing that, that experience and how that turned out, but that kind of just made me think about at times uh, how quitting is, is frowned upon today. So as an entrepreneur, how do you know that it's the right time to call it quits on a business or to end a business? Or what, how do you know that you're hanging on too long? Can you say how someone can go ahead and determine the difference? Yeah. And then, you know, unfortunately, it's a, it's a big cliche and overdone because I think there's a lot of this is like an easy one for YouTube entrepreneurs and all that to make a video on, is, you know, I didn't want to quit all attention. So I don't want to spend too much time doing that rah-rah thing. But what I will say is I think that I think the most important lesson I've learned outside of everything I've you know spoken about today is really that mindset shift is that the way you process information is what determines how happy you are and how much, you know, sustaining power you have on any journey and any dream on any chase, right? We're talking about entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurship is the exact same thing as wanting to become a famous artist, as wanting to be whatever dream position you have. It, all entrepreneurship is for most of us. It's doing what we said we were going to do when we were children, right? And I find that funny. It's that if you think about when you were a child, what did you want to do? Did you want to be an astronaut? Did you want to be a ballerina? Did you want to be a soccer player? Did you want to be any one of these things? Entrepreneurship is about saying when you were a kid, you wanted to be a baseball player, right? And then when you grow up, people said, oh, get a job. And you said, well, I'll get a job, but it's going to be at the baseball fields, right? And then when you got old, you played college ball, and they said, hey, you're not good enough to make it to the NLB. And you still tried out, and you got on the minor team. And then all of a sudden, opportunity comes up to be an assistant coach. And somehow, before you know it, you're an assistant coach for Major League Baseball for the New York Yankees. And everybody's going, how the hell did that happen? And it's because you didn't give up. And your path might have sucked. It might have taken twists and turns. And ultimately, you said you want to be a baseball player, you're a baseball coach. I would, I would argue to say that it's basically the same thing, right? I think when you look at stuff like that, that's all entrepreneurship is. It's this mindset shift of saying, no matter what I do, ultimately, I'm going to get to where I've been wanting to go my whole life. And I think that too many of us as adults, as we get older, drop that off, right? Because it is easy to drop it off because friends and family, they want what's best for you, right? What's best for you. What's best for you is in their mind, what's best for you. 
and what they would do if they were in your shoes. It's not necessarily what's best for you. And I think that, you know, having that mindset shift of understanding, okay, this is my journey, this is my path, and I need to make the most out of it. And understanding, to tie this back to quitting, that when it comes to quitting, and I would challenge, you know, you and your audience to look at it as a little bit more, look at it as failure, right? Because failure, it sounds worse, but if you think of what failure is, failure is actually beautiful. Failure, I think it's Thomas Edison that says that I didn't fail a hundred times, I found a hundred ways that don't work, right? And that's brilliant when you start to look at it like that. It's not quitting because you actually tried. I think real quitting is the people that don't try, right? The sad, that's, that's the saddest thing is the people that have a dream, whatever, and they just make so many damn excuses because every reason for not trying is an excuse. And I stand firm by that. Not having money, having a sick parent, having something tra traumatic happen to you, fine, I fucking get it, it sucks. But at the end of the day, it's a fucking excuse because we all have shit that we go through. And I think that once we get out of that mindset shift of being the victim or making these excuses or whatever, you start to realize, whoa, quitting ain't bad because most people don't try, right? So I'm failing. I might fail. I fail every fucking day, Socrates. I got people that ask me, oh, how'd you become an investor? I don't fucking know what I'm doing 99% of the time. You read books, you watch videos, you learn from other people, right? And you know, you get there, you do what you have to do to make it, right? But I think that that's the, the, the trick with quitting is to start to look at it as failure and understand failing is good because it shows you, oh, okay, that didn't work. What's the next thing? What's the next opportunity? And so I think you, you know when you've reached that failure point, kind of like, you know, I'm not the healthiest person, but, you know, I, I've started working out again. I worked out in college. It's like when you're working out and you do reps to failure, if you know what that means, right? That's a good thing when you're working out. Think about that. So in working out and building your body and being healthy, repetition to failure is a good thing. It means you're pushing your body to its limit, right? Not beyond that limit, but at that limit. And I think that as an entrepreneur, as a human being in general, you'll know when you've reached that failure point. You'll know when it's time for change. It just doesn't feel right. I had a real tough time after my last startup when it shut down trusting my gut, which is the number one skill you need to develop as an entrepreneur. And I would say as a human being, it's the most important thing. Not always trusting your brain because your brain has a tendency to overthink which overthinking is the quickest path to unhappiness on the planet, your gut will tell you what's right. Your gut will tell you what to do. And trusting that gut makes a huge difference. I know for someone that's never trusted their gut before listening to this, they're going to think that's crazy. But when you trust your gut, you're going to know something's wrong, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. Whether it's at work and you have a boss and you're going in and you're depressed. And that shit's done. Get the, duck and run, man. Just because your wife wants you to stay there, because you have two kids at home, or because your parents are telling you, get the fuck out. Right? That's, it's failure. You failed at that job. Good for you. That's good because now you'll find what's next. And I guarantee you'll be 10 times happier if you live life like that going on that journey. I think that most people are so scared to start that they're even more scared to fail. And that's the trick is that being okay with both is what's important. Being okay with that mindset of saying, hey, failure is good because I just found something that didn't work. Thank you for sharing that, Julian. And I mean, as I, I mean, we're seeing the world going through this, you know, pandemic and, you know, people have lost jobs. People are, you know, struggling just to put food on the table at this time. And, you know, that's that's my favorite thing about this episode, just showing the failures and what we've experienced in the past. You know, life is all about what you're looking forward to, not necessarily what's going on right now, because you don't have to make this your permanent situation. I know that previously you spoke about, you know, entrepreneurs and that you don't really address mental health. So I would really like to take a moment to see, besides the people that are around you, Julian, what are some resources that people may have available? Because I know that there's, you know, maybe a ton of entrepreneurs right now going through a hard time. I would say, you know, two big things, man, and I don't know if they're resources or not, but I guess it depends how you look at them. Um, number one, I would say get as far away from following other entrepreneurs as you possibly can. 
I think we've created this culture where it's like, you know, let me, let me put it in terms of coronavirus, right? We see all these celebrities preaching to us, holier than thou, telling us, stay at home, be safe. That's super easy when you have a 6,000 square foot house with three pools, a maid, a personal chef, and a fucking gym. We get it, pal. You could stay at home for fucking ever. You don't have to leave, right? But we don't all have that situation, right? And so if you look at that, it's like, okay, cool. Let me listen to Hollywood, but understand that what they're saying is also bias, right? I really do genuinely believe that, unfortunately, entrepreneurship, which didn't used to be cool, it wasn't cool to be an entrepreneur when I first started the game. It wasn't something you wanted to tell mom and dad. It wasn't good to be honest. It was like, whoa, no, you you need to get a job. Now it's become cool to buy a MacBook Pro, drop out of college, and, I don't know, put on an IG, your CEO of some shit, whatever. I think we need to get away as entrepreneurs from this whole worship culture that we've created of worshiping other individuals. That's never been a good idea. You don't worship other individuals in life. You are your own person. You are your own entrepreneur. You can't watch some YouTube video or some Instagram person or Google, whatever it is, and replicate what they've done because part of what they're doing is selling you while you're watching that shit, even if it's free. So it's a path to nowhere. So I think that we get a lot of issues mental health-wise with people that are earlier in the cycle just because of that, because it's good for motivation, right? It's good if you, if you work in a job nine to five, you want to see what it's like to be an entrepreneur to watch those things, but you can't worship them, right? You cannot worship them. It doesn't work like that. That's number one. I think that that will help a lot of people if they can get away from that. Number two, you know, from like a, a resource standpoint more so, connect in person, obviously after coronavirus or whatever, as much as you can with other entrepreneurs that are actually doing it, that aren't just talking about doing it, right? You'd be surprised. Entrepreneurship, when I first started Socrates, was like this weird fraternity. It was like you started a business and all of a sudden these people started coming out of the woodwork and they hazed you a little bit. You had to cut your teeth, but they took you under their wing because part of the entrepreneur's code in a weird way is to give back, right? I'm not getting anything out of this podcast, right? It's your first episode. There might only be two or three people to listen to it. I'm not getting paid, but that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it because, hey, let's share some content. Let's create something together because that's how this whole ecosystem works. We lift each other up. This might be the number one grossing podcast in three years and I could say I was number one. Right. So there's that too. Right. I'm not counting on that, but I'm saying, hey, that might happen. And that's how entrepreneurship was when I first got started. It was this it was this weird kind of culture community where you got taken in by someone under their wing. All of a sudden you were in the club. It was like this back room opened up and you were like, the hell have all these people? Then you started learning tricks of the trade. And I say that to say, I think we can bring some of that back. Don't just go on forums. Don't just go on Reddit. And those are great resources, too, if you're feeling depressed or whatever. You know, go on there and see on Reddit, entrepreneurs, mental health, whatever, resources, all that kind of stuff. I know there's things like Talkspace and all that. And, um, you know, to be clear, if you have you know, that mindset or whatever, there's advocates for all kinds of programs, right? There's suicide hotlines. There's mental health hotlines. You know, find those, call those. Um, you know, nothing is ever worth taking your own life. Nothing is ever worth, you know, making yourself sick, right? That's a, a lesson that I've had to learn is that, you know, the work, even if you're a workaholic, is not worth your health. Um, you know, I think those are good resources, but the best resource, man, is to build a support network of other entrepreneurs because when you're around like-minded people, right? And you know what? Let me take it a step further, Socrates, so that it's not just entrepreneurs. Let's take it to artists and all these other people. Let's say you want to become an artist and a painter. Find a network of other people that are painters, right? Four or five people that do that because your conversations are going to be wildly different than you could have with even your closest friends. Your closest friends don't give a shit if you just lost two clients on a Tuesday. That means nothing to them. Your family doesn't understand because they're like, well, why are you still doing it? Why don't you get a job, right? Your spouse doesn't understand it because, well, 
she's not in that mindset because she works a steady nine to five and she can't understand why you're continuing to risk the family's fortune uh, or the family's future uh, on some dumb startup idea, right? She doesn't, and you might love all of these people. These might be all of the best people in your life, but they will never get it the same way a peer group will. And that's the best thing I've ever done is have a support network of other entrepreneurs that are real guys that are really doing it, that are out there chasing and hustling every day. And our conversations, I'm telling you, man, you know, grown, you know, people in their 50s and 60s that I'm friends with that our conversations are these serious heart-to-heart talks of, you know, we get each other through it. And I think that's the, that's the most important thing, man, is building that support network for yourself. You can't be behind a screen all day long. And contrary to popular belief, you can't learn all this shit in a fucking book. It doesn't exist. If it did, we'd all read it and be good. There's great books, but there's no roadmap for this crap. And I mean, like you mentioned, the entrepreneurship and it being pop culture now, but for anyone that has, a, you know, any friends, acquaintances that are actual entrepreneurs, just make sure that you're there for them. I mean, I know I couldn't offer you any clients or anything like that, Julian, but I had an ear to listen to you when you were going through rough times, you know what I mean? And even as a broke college student, I don't think that people know their value just for being a human being, just for listening to them. And if they do put out merch or they sell a book, I I probably shouldn't be shitting on books books considering I'm an author, but yeah. (laughs) Jay, throwing in the handle in there. Hopefully you'll sell a few copies on there. But, you know. Going back to my point, just building those genuine relationships and being there for people, I feel like that that's what it's all about. Even when it's business, relationships are still extremely important. Uh, Julian, so kind of jumping around now, small edit here from Gary Vaynerchuk, and he mentioned how he's just horrible at firing people. So as someone that has run multiple businesses, what is your yeah, biggest um, opportunity? Yeah, I've been through a lot, man. I've had great employees. I've had bad employees. I've had people, employees that I've paid great salaries to steal from me, which is incredible um, that a human being could do something like that. But, you know, it, it happens. It's part of it. Um, so, you know, I think your greatest opportunity as a leader in general of anything, whether it's at work in a corporate environment, whether it's at home with a family, whether it's amongst a friend group, is really to see people build up, right? I was telling the story before. Uh, on a conference call I had earlier today. One of the coolest things that's ever happened to me is my co-founder in that last business that ended up being a failure, right? Getting back there was clearly a failure. Um, he ended up getting this phenomenal job with this huge corporation running his own department. And he's the youngest person to ever do that. And they said it was because he had executive experience at our company. And I gave him a great recommendation. I was like, I mean, when I tell you, and I'm not going to tell you the company, the name or anything, but it's basically like, he got a job at Goldman Sachs building his own division at 24 years old, which happens to no one. I mean, you got to be boy genius for that. And you see that and you're like, damn, okay, so this really did help someone, right? I think that's your greatest opportunity in general as a leader is to build people up because it pays dividends for you. That's the selfish motivation because now I have a direct contact with this big company that we actually do a lot of work with where I get a lot of help from you know him in a lot of ways. So you know, I think that's the, the biggest opportunity, right, in terms of like actual leadership. I think that when it comes to running a business and the experience of running a business, right? Yeah, look, at the end of the day, firing people sucks, um, you know, but there's a time and a place for it, just like there was a time and a place for hiring. And I really do think that when you're starting any journey, right, because I think entrepreneurship is just more chasing the dream than anything else. So when you're starting out on any of these journeys, you're going to have to realize 
at some point in some way, shape or form, there's going to be people in your life, whether it's friends or employees or mentors or even relatives, man. And this is tough to say, but that no longer make the cut when you move up to the next level of the game. It's very, and I'm telling you that from the bottom of my heart, not talking about the firing thing, but from friends that I've had to lose, that I've had to cut out of my life because they became toxic after a certain level. People that were like this, that were like this, we were intertwined. When push came to shove and it came time to get to that next level, very sad, very unfortunate, but there was no place for them anymore because they pull you down. And I think that you have to be aware of that because it's not, if you don't cut those people out, misery loves company. They will pull you down, right? So we cannot be afraid to get rid of people in our lives. We have to be able to say, I forgive you. There's nothing wrong with you, but I can't have you in my life. I think that's a very important thing for us to do as dreamers, entrepreneurs, whatever you want to call I know that you, uh, you and a friend went to uh, see Gary Vaynerchuk. I think he was speaking here in Central Florida. Sorry, to be clear, so we didn't go to the event. We, we were both um, organizers of the event. So we were like hanging out in the green room and all that kind of stuff. He's a, he's a cool dude, man. I mean, had some cool conversations with him. Um, before and after, and, you know, he's a busy guy. So he flew in, I think he had like a half hour before he had to go on and speak. Um, so of course everybody backstage wanted to talk to him. I had a chance to talk to him because we were one of the organizers. So I legit had some stuff that I needed to run him by. Uh, he was cool with all of it. And then we just chit chat a little bit. I was like, listen, man, I, I like your stuff, you know, and you actually, so funny stories that, uh, an old friend of mine, well, a friend who's no longer, um, not much of a friend anymore. We don't speak that much. Um, was actually one of his earliest employees at one of his companies. So I mentioned to him, he's like, oh, yeah, I remember him. How's he doing? But one, I was like, yeah, good. And then so we kind of went off on a tangent. We just chit-chatted. We exchanged some, like, emails or whatever. We said, yeah, email my team when you're back in the city, um, something like that. And I ended up not uh, not meeting up when we got back in the city for whatever reason. But, no, he, he was a cool guy, man. We had a really good conversation. Um, you know, I think he has a very unique style with entrepreneurship. I like it. I, I've learned a lot from it. Um, and I think it really works well for him. And I think you can see, I mean, he's grown exponentially, I think, man, in the last two years, which I think the last time I saw him was like a year, year and a half ago, something like that. So he's just killing it. Thanks for that. And I also saw you with uh, someone else that I follow pretty closely, and it's uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort. I saw that you posted him on your, sto- posted him on your story. So are you, uh, t- are you a part of any courses? Is he offering you any mentoring? But what's going on there? Jordan, Jordan is actually the man, and part of the reason uh, why you saw that and what I'm trying to work on with him is, um, at, at, for those of you that don't know, you know, The Wolf of Wall Street, the movie, which I think more people know, is based on Jordan Belfort, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. The actual Jordan Belfort um, is a sales, I, I guess he's, he's a sales coach, that's what he is. Um, so he has all these different training modules, all these different seminars. And I got onto his stuff, not through the movie, but years later, and I was a big fan of the movie. But years later, through a podcast he has called The Wolf's Den, which is just really good. He's got a good interview style. And maybe it's because I'm from New York and I'm in finance. I'm a banker and all that. I, I connect with him on a different level. And the way he asks questions that he talks, I feel like I'm listening to a version of myself. I, I love it, right? And so because of that, I think I had emailed him out of the blue, um, which is what I normally do when I like anybody that's high profile. I don't care. I'll email celebrities, whatever. It doesn't matter. So, yeah, you probably won't read this, um, you know, but I'm a big fan of the podcast. I happen to run a podcast myself. Let's have you on. In between that time frame, I ended up, I, I had to pause my podcast for legal reasons, which is on hiatus. But um, so I didn't have that. And then I said, you know what? Let me take a risk here and let me see if I can connect with him. So I connected through one of his mentorship programs. And um, 
it's been cool, man. He's been really, really helpful. You know, I, I've, I've asked him a couple questions um, with our business right now and just kind of tips and tricks that he has. But I think more than that, it's his, um, it's his charisma, man, that reminds you that at the end of the day, Socrates, no matter what you're doing as an entrepreneur, if you can sell, you can win. Selling is the most important skill in business. And that's what he reminded me of when, you know, I kind of first connected with him. But yeah, there's cool people. And I've had the luxury of meeting some really cool people in my career. Uh, Oren Klaff, Jay Samet, um, a couple other people that, you know, big in the business community. I'm John Blankstein right now. But and, and all I've ever done to meet those people, and, you know, maybe this is a good topic. Um, <laughs> if you think about, like, your favorite celebrity, how many people actually take the time to write them an email or a handwritten note? Nobody, because most of them stop at, oh, well, everybody would want to get in touch with them. So let me not try. If you just try, yeah, nine times out of 10, you're going to miss. But one time out of 10, you're going to meet somebody really cool that's going to agree to be on your podcast or mentor you or whatever, you know? Yeah, I love it, man. No, I will do. And I'm glad we're talking about this because I think it speaks to what we were saying earlier, just to tie it in. Um, you know, what we're talking about here is you see, this is great for motivation, right? We're both using, you know, these individuals and their brands as resources for motivation. I think the problem becomes when you start to worship, right? I don't worship Jordan Belfort. I don't worship Gary Vaynerchuk. If anything, in a weird sort of way, and I don't say this from a place of arrogance, it's just from a mindset shift, I almost look at them as peers, right? Because they're just people, right? At the end of the day, we're just people. And if you start to look at people as just people and you start to strip people's titles or of their past and really say, wait a minute, we're all equal. I think you would solve so many of the world's problems because the truth is, man, we're all equal. We're all just people. Right. It, it's all this bickering is because of titles or because of other issues or, you know, all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, man, it's just people. And that's the easiest way to get connected to the top tier people you want to get connected to. It's just realize. Yeah. A more amusing part of, of the interview. And I wanted to go ahead and, and ask you, because when we met years ago, I believe that we were having lunch for the first time outside of when we met uh, when you were speaking. And, you know, I, you know, you asked me about my love life. I asked you about yours and. You said that at that time it was Blurt Box, but I see now that you've moved on, and her name is Porsche. When, where does your love for the brand come from? <laughs> How do you acquire the Porsche? What's going on there, man? I see that you post pictures of it all the time. Funny you say because it's not running right now, so it's a little bit depressing for me to talk about. I've been working on it for the last two months, and I can't. I don't even want to get into it. But um, no, I, I think you know. I'm glad you bring that up because I think materialism and money is not brought up either enough in conversation about entrepreneurship. And I think that's something else we could be more open about. Um, like I said before, earlier in the interview, I think if you ever meet an entrepreneur that flat out says it's not about the money, it's a dirty fucking lie. On some level, it is about the money, right? And I've had these mindset shifts in my career, right? I've had the fortune of starting five real businesses, right? Two that have failed, two that I've sold, and one that I'm working on right now. To kind of have experience of being, you know, going around the block for a bit and understanding what it means to be an entrepreneur and what it means to run businesses. One of the pieces that I rediscovered more recently when times became good for me again, which times are good for me now, right? And like I said, it's ebbs and flows. I'll probably lose everything I have again in the future, starting another one. But for right now, uh, for the foreseeable future, at least it's only up, up, and up. Taking the time to step back, right? And saying, why am I doing this is equally as important as putting in those nonstop 18 hour days. And I think that there's a piece of, maybe it's like a, a nugget of something. I don't know how you would describe it, but there is something to rewarding yourself in a materialistic sense. I know that sounds terrible, but that just is a little bit of a reminder. It's not that you live for that car, it's not that you push for that house, right? It's all those cars, houses, 
you know, nice for clothes, whatever that's what we talked about. But I think for a while I tried ignoring that, right? I've driven a beaten up Honda element my whole career, right? And when push came to shove, when I went through this huge down cycle, and then I finally started coming up, this Porsche, as you brought up, this car, this item, this thing was almost a sign for me of resurrection. It was like, ah, I'm back, right? It was something that signified that, okay, here I am. And as stupid as that might sound, right? I know I'm going to get shit from the people that People are like, oh, if you're really an entrepreneur, you take the money, put it into the stock market. First of all, I negotiated the fuck out of that car. Second of all, it's nowhere near the newest version you could buy. Third of all, my point being in all of this is that if you don't take the time to celebrate yourself and do the things that you really enjoy, A, that journey is going to pass you by. B, you may never get to do those things. And C, it's enough of a reminder sometimes to push you and force you into taking the next step. And I say that because you know, right now we're moving offices. We're moving from an office that we're now to something that, in my opinion, is much, much nicer. And it's borderline where the budget is for our office, right? In terms of like how much percent you want to spend. There's something about being in that office when we visited it that makes you feel like you have to work harder, that you have to do bigger deals, right? And I think that's where my love affair come fr- comes from, Socrates, with that Porsche, is that it reminds me day in and day out when I see it, when I post about it, when I drive it, whatever it is that, hey, I've got to keep going. Right, because this is a really easy journey to quit, like you said before, because you're met with failure left and right. And then you realize yourself all of a sudden you have this thing that brings you joy and it's just a reminder of, you know what, life's not too bad, man. I, I can keep doing this, right? And I think we as entrepreneurs all need that, whether it's a watch that you look at, it's your dream watch, it's your grandfather on, whether it's clothing that makes you feel good, whether it's, you know, a car or a house or whatever it is, man. I mean, I think we need those things and we ignore those things because especially in today's society and cancel culture, God forbid you talk about materialism or a fucking Porsche or whatever, you're pariah, but I've never had a problem being hated, so I'm fine with it. I think that you, you bring up some, some great points there, Julian. I'll, I just want to touch for a second. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with chasing materialistic items. I think that where it does turn wrong is when you feel better than others because you have those items. But I will never deny that I feel different or I feel a certain way and it's my preference when I'm riding in a $90,000 vehicle than when, I, when I'm driving you know, something else. Not to say that I feel that I'm better than anyone when I'm in a vehicle of that price tag, but it's just an experience. And I believe when you reach a certain level of wealth and you could obtain anything in life, you simply purchase things for the experience. It's no longer even a status symbol. But we can't deny the feeling that we get when we, like you said, buy certain clothes, whether it's a watch, whether it's just a more expensive shirt, whether you're driving a more expensive car. So, and I don't, and I believe that that's been tainted for some reason. I don't think that there's anything bad for wanting to chase. The, the items with the high dollar tax. Spot on, my friend. Amen, man. Amen. And look, sorry, look, if I can compliment you real quick, this is already in the top five podcasts I've ever done, if not one of the, the top one. I'm, I'm telling you, man, deep with Socrates, right? Perfect fucking name because we're getting super deep in conversations and topics that nobody the fuck wants to talk about. I've done hundreds, hundreds, Socrates, of interviews, speeches, fucking radio, TV appearances, whatever my life. Nobody ever wants to talk about this. This is like taboo. Yet meanwhile, right, you see all the, even like Hollywood people and all that kind of shit that are saying, oh, we need to fix world hunger. We need to donate this. I'm like, bitch, you got a $200,000 car. What are you talking about, right? So there has to be something to it, right? And it's funny that this is the name you're showing. This is the first episode because we're getting really deep on what someone consider a controversial topic. Not as controversial stuff going on in the world, but this is definitely a controversial topic. I'm telling you, a lot of the Instagram entrepreneurs that I see that post on their stories, you know, it's like this pride of, 
you know, oh, see this, this is still my 2006 Toyota Camry, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's not about them. I'm like, bitch, okay, cool. Like, that's fine. But like, now you're just doing it for the image as well. So you're trying to tell me that you're better than me because you're driving an older beat down car. So they're doing exactly what you just said, which is a problem, which is that when you think any material item, high value, low value, whatever makes you better than somebody else, that's when you have a problem. But I don't think that celebrating your success is a problem. I think that it's very necessary for anybody that's a high achiever in a dream. It's what keeps you going. You know, it's, it's part of the motivation. Just like you seek mentors, these materialistic items in some way, they it's like reaching a goal because you're purchasing something that you actually wanted. Um, and then just the second point is you mentioning your office uh, and the one that you're moving to. Albert Preciado has a company called The Mortgage Guys. And through mentorship is how he learned that he should change the name from the mortgage guy to the mortgage guys, you know, because nobody wants to just work for a top dog. They want to be in a company full of top dogs. And one story, one of his stories that really stuck out to me were him purchasing a Ferrari and how he made this purchase without knowing how he would be able to afford it. It was right on the budget, like you stated. And I believe that his monthly payment is about two grand. But as soon as he purchased the vehicle, after the purchase, I uh, got one of the top real estate agents to be one of his clients. And he was making over that and just off of that one client that he was able to attract just from the Ferrari. So at times, you know, these higher end offices or higher end vehicles, you could pretty much consider those a marketing expense because now you get to attract a higher end client that you may not have in the past. And that's what I hope that happens for Anything you with this experience. can be a tool or a vice, it depends on how you use it, right? I think that's the trick is that, you know, if you're looking at these material items as this selfish, self-fulfilling, I'm better than you, that's what they'll become. And that will be your life. It'll be an empty chase of continuously trying to get the newest, but it'll be keeping up with the Joneses, right? If you look at it as, hey, this is something that makes me happy, which that Porsche does. Uh, it puts a big smile on my face when I get to drive it up and down I-95. It's the best experience in the world with the top down. Um, so it gives me relaxation. It resets me. Um, this is something that I can share with others, right? With friends, with family members, um, in particular with dates with girls. It's pretty good, right? It's nice to have a Porsche. It's <laughs> convertible. Um, you know, so I can share it with other people, you know, and I, I do use it also, like you said, as a little bit of a way to attract clients when they see that you know how to make money and finance, they naturally kind of trust you a little bit more. And they say, I want to do business with this person because they obviously know what they're doing. And I think that's a really good topic or point rather that you brought up, which is that, you know, we can't treat anything in business or in life as a linear black and white decision. It has to be, hey, I made this decision and it's a conscious decision. And you know what it's going to do to your life, right? And then you make that decision as an adult whether or not you want to do it. And I think that's the, the, you know, kind of the best way to look at these things. But I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, man. This is a really good topic. This is a lot of fun to talk about. I, I, I hope that, you know, our audience enjoys this as much as you and me are. I mean, I think that we're bringing a ton of value, and that was the point. Julian, just to, to you know, kind of bring this to a close, you, uh, even though you're an entrepreneur and you run businesses, I, I see, I've seen your relationship with content and I, and I really appreciate it because you're a person can that can identify these niches when it comes to businesses and when it comes to creating content. And, and I believe that you, you really know how to leverage it. I mean, you, you're an author, you, you know, you wrote the book, first money in yet you, you had startup financial news, awesome podcast, by the way, it was I really enjoyed seeing the feud between Silicon Valley companies being overvaluated and Wall Street dumping it on, on investors. So that was very fun for me. And I mean, you come up with these segments, uh, top headlines and what you need to know, just news for the entrepreneur, quick and dirty. 
just so that just enough to get your day going. Uh, even on Snapchat, you would uh, expose fake uh, Mr. Frosty Chucks. Is that correct? <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's a New York thing. Yeah, fake ice cream truck. Still do that. Funded the movie, and then I, I I'm not sure if you're still doing it, but even on TikTok, you had these 60 second segments on on news, if I'm not mistaken. So just like you're able to identify these niches and these opportunities, there's a lot of people out of work right now, and Due to the situation that we're facing, that's the reason why I started the podcast in the first place, because over the years, I've met so many great people that I know that can add value to others. And when you're feeling helpless, you become helpful. I think that that's the best way to go about it. Even though I, I can't, you know, provide the experiences that you do to our audience, but I can serve as a vehicle for you to do so. What would you recommend, you know, for people to do during this time, whether it's starting a side hustle, identifying an opportunity, what's a great way for, let's say, an entrepreneur specifically to go ahead and identify some opportunities and think and uh yeah experiences that they can take advantage of at this time and the, the way that the, the world is current great question man I'll, I'll give the audience kind of three things that i would look at it and i think i approach life in general good times bad times in these three ways but number one is before jumping into anything before starting something new humbling yourself humbling yourself i think especially for my generation and millennials in general we have a lot of entitlement we think the world spins around us and that just because we're alive, that some government or some entity or whatever is supposed to fucking take care of us. Let me remind you, this is life. And it wasn't that long ago that we were killing each other over pieces of meat so that we could live. Right? You have it pretty fucking good one way or another, especially if you're in fucking America. Right? That's number one. Is humbling yourself and realizing, hey, just because I lost my job, my $80,000 a year, or just because I was a manager somewhere, doesn't mean that I'm too good to go into a you know, supermarket and apply for a cashier job. Money in versus money out, right? Humble yourself. That's number one. I've had to do that plenty of times in my life. It's hard to do when you're a young guy. It really is when you're in your early 20s. That's really tough to do because you have this image and this persona and then all of a sudden you lose the whole fucking thing. And then, hey, you're changing trash cans again. It's like, yep, here I am, right? You don't ever, ever, ever put yourself beneath anything or anybody because it'll cut off a lot of opportunities. That's number one. Number two, I would say is, you know, realize that doing something is always better than doing nothing, right? I think a lot of people get into this cycle of, it's like they play the victim card, like, oh, I lost my job. Oh, it's coronavirus. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. And it's like, well, if you just keep saying all the things you can't do, you're never going to find the things that you can do, right? And if you can find the things that you can do, opportunity will come, right? Luck favors the bold, whatever that expression is. If you operate, you will naturally find better opportunities before you don't. You might create a better life for yourself than you had before. And number three, man, I would say is this, right? I would say for anybody that's looking to make extra money, for anybody that's looking to start something new, for anybody that's looking for a way to support their family, whatever it is, start with the simple understanding that something that you do now does not need to be something that you do forever. And I think that frees up and opens up the mind a lot because it's like, oh, shit, well, if that's the case, let me drive for Uber. Or, oh, shit, well, if that's the case, let me do DoorDash. Oh, shit, well, if that's the case, let me create a profile on Upwork.com and work as an editor because I know how to speak the English language or a translator because I know how to speak Spanish or whatever it is and make 20 bucks an hour. Understand that it's stepping stones, right? In business in general, it's stepping stones. You start somewhere. I started with fucking coupons, coupons, right? I, I peddled coupons. I was a coupon peddler. I was the lowest of the low when it comes to the totem pole of business. So now I'm the highest of high. I'm an investment banker, right? I mean, how the fuck one connects to the other, I could never have guessed. I could never have told you, but they do, right? And so by starting, by humbling yourself, by understanding that what you do now is not what you have to do forever, 
all of a sudden you'll start to find these opportunities that are out there, right? Because you'll start humble, you start low, and then all of a sudden maybe you're driving for Uber for, you know, two weeks, six weeks, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you meet somebody that you pick up at the airport and they're like, wow, you're a really nice person. I actually run this hotel. I need a manager. Would you like to come in, right? I know that sounds like rare and odd, but I can promise you it's not because that's what's happening. All right. I think those are the best tips that I can give your audience, Socrates, for what they should be doing right now in these times that they're struggling. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, just like you mentioned, you know, I know that we're all going through a tough time right now, but it's it's the way that you make it happen. I mean, even for me personally, uh, there are many of my friends, as you mentioned, some are, some are toxic, but you have them around and they kept telling me, uh, when it came to graduation time that, you know, it may take me one to two years to search for a job, but they underestimated my ability to execute. I mean, I don't know how many applications I sent out, how many interviews I went through, but I respected the process. And I mean, I believe that within one to two months after graduation, and I mean, I have to put luck as a factor as well. You know, I just, it was the last table I visited at a career fair, but we hit it off. And, and you know, I've been with the company for a little over a year now. It's all about the way that you execute. Never let someone else's opinion determine your future. So I thank you for hitting on that. I think that that was an excellent point. And, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. I'm not sure how close you are to wrapping up this podcast, but if we're close to the end, kind of as a wrap-up note, one thing I will say, uh, maybe I should have said at the beginning as a disclaimer or whatever, but, you know, for your audience, fucking don't listen to me, right? I, I don't even believe in advice, right? Listen to what Socrates has to say, maybe what I have to say, but take it with a grain of salt. You might have a totally different life experience. You might have a totally different sense of reality. You might have a total different set of skills or opportunities. I'm not even a big believer in advice, Socrates. I'm a big believer in sharing stories. I'm a big believer in having open dialogue like what we're doing. But for me to sit here and tell someone that anything is definitively one way or the other is something I never want to be perceived as doing. So if I did that, I apologize. Um, you know, I more like to just share stories. But I think that that's another thing, too, is right to your point. Don't take what friends and even family say at face value, always, especially as you get older. It's not always the best advice, right? It's not always your best interest, and it's not always the truth, right? Um, every day is different, right? Every life experience that you have has shaped you as an individual, and you and I are wildly different human beings with wildly different skill sets and wildly different opportunities. And just because we have some shared experiences doesn't mean that what works for me will work for you. And I think that at the end of the day, it's about you know having the confidence and the belief in yourself to do what you need to do. And then when you have the haters and the naysayers, which I have plenty, trust me, it's the, you know from here to kingdom come of people that hate me or despise me, whatever it is, you just don't care. You just shrug it. You know, you shrug your shoulders and say, you know what, this is my journey. I'm on it. And most of the people that, you know, hate me for it and most of the people that don't support me, I can tell you this, Socrates, they're not the happiest people on the planet. No, you definitely have a point there. All we're doing here is sharing our point of views and our perspectives. And, and that's the whole point of the show, right? I just want people to really listen to others' journeys and finding out that there isn't just one way to do it. You know, you, you gave some nuggets here of what they can implement on their own, own lives, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. You know, you just get to learn and apply things in a different way to your own life, which I feel like is the, the great thing about podcasts. You know, all we could do is provide the information, but it's up to you to interpret it and apply it to your life the way that you see fit, which is great. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right, Julian, I got three questions for you, and then we could go ahead and close this out. Favorite pizza place in New York? Favorite pizza place in New York? Shit, that's tough. God, you put me on the spot here, man. So my favorite, and nobody's really going to know about it because it's out of the way. It's outside of the city. It's a brick oven pizzeria called Cassie's. Um, C-A-S-S-I-E-S. Uh, it's, I, I believe they have two or three locations, but the chain I'm talking about is in, in Orangeburg, New York. Um, and it's wood-fired cold pizza. We've got it for a lot of family parties, for a lot of birthdays. So it's got a place near and dear to my heart. But um, I would say that's probably my favorite. Um, 
yeah, Cassie's. I'll, I'll stick with that. <laughs> Sounds good. I don't know when I'll be back <laughs> in the city, unfortunately, but I am looking looking forward to it, man, because uh, the food there is amazing, and, and I really miss it. So, uh, even I would though say, I, yeah, in the, in the city, go to Lombardi's, man. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. All right, there we go. <laughs> we have another suggestion there. What would be one of your favorite favorite films? films so. I tend, uh, you know, I tend to like a lot of these business films. So I, I want to give you, I'll give you a business film, then a more general film. My favorite, I think, movie of all time, one that I've um, rewatched over and over again. Uh, well, let me give you two. These are my two favorites. Sorry, I'll give you two favorite, and then I'll give you my business one. It literally tied. I, Ocean's Eleven. I absolutely love that movie. Um, I've seen that movie hundreds and hundreds of times. And then Iron Man. I love the original Iron Man, the first Iron Man movie, Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow. I think there's so many times that I've watched that movie when I've been maybe a little bit down on myself. I'm like, you know what? I'm working towards, you know, trying to be like him. You know, those cheesy little things that watching a movie does for you. So I, I think I really enjoy that movie. And then my favorite business movie of all time, which is uh, really not well known, um, is an HBO documentary called Too Big to Fail, which profiles the 2008 um, housing crisis. Uh, really phenomenal film. Really, really just well shot, well written. Um, so if anybody likes business film, that's a really good one. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. All right, Julian, any final words for our audience? Any final takeaway that you would like to provide? Also, let the people know where you find where to find you. final takeaway would be, man, listen to this podcast because this guy's a great host for your first show. My God, man, that was really well done. Uh, I've had way shittier hosts uh, where I've been a guest. You, you really killed it, man. I, I think that was really well done. I think we covered on some stuff that most um, podcasters would be afraid to touch on. So... Uh, I will already give this uh, a glowing review and tell you guys this guy's the real deal. And uh, we didn't really plan too much for this. This is an off-the-cuff conversation. So um, I want to thank you first and foremost, Socrates, for having me on. It's an honor, man, being the first guest. I can't tell you what that means to me. In terms of parting words to your audience and stuff like that, I would say, look, you know, what I always try and say at, you know, the universities when I give talks or whatever, podcasts, appearances, wherever I do it is this. Regardless of where you are in your journey, right, if you started something, if you haven't started something, if you're stuck in a dead-end job, if you're a struggling entrepreneur or an entrepreneur that's killing it, whatever it is, don't forget that you could be somebody totally different tomorrow than you are today, right? I've forgotten that plenty of times in my career, and I've associated myself with my current business or worse with a failure, right? I've told myself I'm a failure because that company failed, right? Um, don't ever forget that that's not true, right? Whoever you are today doesn't need to be here tomorrow. Right, and I, I really do genuinely believe that that we've talked a lot about mindset shift on this episode. Socrates is, you know, a really, really important one to grasp. Is that, you know, we have that luxury of every day getting to reinvent and recreate ourselves, and it really does help you on the journey when you're chasing anything. You know, whether it's entrepreneurship or going back to our example of being an artist or whatever it is. Look, you reinvented yourself from someone who wasn't a podcaster to a phenomenal show host. Right, you could you could host a damn talk show now because you've gone through this. Right, you already look like you're hosting a talk show. You got the Jay Leno mic, you got the glasses, you got yeah, you're killing it, man. You know, I mean, you got the you got the whole set behind you. I'm in some fucking bedroom here with a white wall behind me. You got the whole thing going. So, you know, don't forget that is that you know you can reinvent yourself because that's key to continuing any journey. Saying all right, that didn't work yesterday, but that doesn't mean that's who I am. I'm gonna do this tomorrow, and that'll be who I am. So. Um, that's what I'll leave you on where people can find me. I guess the easiest place, man, to be honest with you, I think is my personal website, which God willing was down for maintenance for a while, which is just JL, Jason Julian. I was in Lewis 
J.L. Meyer, not plural, just M-E-Y-E-R. That's jlmeyer.com. Um, that's got all my contact info and stuff, so that's probably the best. Julian, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. You brought a ton of value to myself as well as our audience. And just before we close out this episode, because this is a, a milestone for me, uh, you guys have no idea how many times I just wanted to go ahead and trash this idea, uh, how many times it went through my head of I'm not going to be good enough. Even today, uh, you know, earlier today I had butterflies in my stomach the entire time. But as, uh, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, or during this episode, sorry, if you don't do anything, nothing will happen. So I am extremely humbled to know that you actually enjoyed this interview. I appreciate you, you know, you providing that vote of confidence for me. And I, I'm looking forward to it now, guys. Honestly, I'm, I'm not kidding when I tell you that. I gave up on this idea a million times before I posted this, uh, this first episode or that I'm going to post it. So, Julian, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for being vulnerable and providing your journey. And thank you again for helping me kick off this venture, man. You have no idea how much this means to me. Positive. Like I said, man, a real pleasure. And, um, you know, I'm not bullshitting you when I say I've done hundreds of these things. And I'm telling you, you're in the very top tier of, you know, interviews and all that. You, you may just have an actual talent for it. But, you know, I'll, I'll end my note on this is that what you just said is so important for, I think, your audience to grasp is that this never would have happened if you would have allowed the fear or the butterflies or whatever to get in your way. And look, we had a hell of a lot of fun doing it. You've created a whole episode. And like I said, you reinvented yourself. Now you're officially a podcaster. Nobody can ever take that away from you. And I think that's the, the coolest thing. And when I do things like what you're doing, right, starting a podcast, think about it this way. You've now started a podcast. The minute you post it, you're a podcaster. That's a great damn story to tell your grandchildren one day. If nothing else, if the whole thing goes to shit, if you don't make any money off it, you say, yeah, you know, grandpa was on the radio. Oh, yeah, I had a show. Your grandkids are going to freak out over that shit, right? Try and think like that. You know, because I think that's what allows me to get over the hump of the butterflies and all that shit. I'd be lying if I said I didn't get nervous in big pitches. I mean, I've spoken in front of huge crowds. And right before, you're like, shit, why did I agree to this? Why did I send up this? And afterwards, you have pictures of yourself from the event. You're like, damn, this was fucking cool. Like, this was badass. So I'm, I'm really happy you said that, man. And listen, like I said, it's not, um, you know, it's not loose lips. It's not meant to fall in deaf ears. It's a real compliment. You killed it, man. I really enjoyed it. It's been a hell of a lot of fun. And I wish you nothing but the best of success with this, man. Well, I'll take you. That was episode two with Julian Meyer. If you enjoyed the song, feel free to check out Wombino's music. That is W-O-M-B-I-N-O. The song is called Shoot Hoops, but he has a ton of great music. Great friend of mine. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. Follow us on Instagram. Deeper with Socrates with an underscore at the end. Everything is still under construction, but I promise that over the coming weeks, we'll bring it all together. If you or anyone you know is interested in sharing their journey and their story, feel free to shoot me a message and I'll be happy to connect. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week. I don't want to die young, we just want to have fun, taking shots like we